tolerance, equality, inclusion, fairness, sensitivity, acceptance. These seem to be buzzwords of our culture, our society right now. So we shouldn't be surprised if people are offended or taken aback when we quote Jesus. When he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But that's what the Bible says. So that's what we preach. And that's our text for this morning. It's found in John chapter 14. So if you'll turn your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14, we're really just going to be looking at this one verse and a couple of themes around it. But John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My hope this morning is just to unpack this phrase, expand it out a little bit, to look at where maybe it hits our lives, but then also address how we might engage a culture that is just clearly convinced that this is not true. And so as we begin and go to God's Word, will you just pray with me? Dear Lord, I do pray that you bless our time together as we Look into your word as we seek your truth this morning. I pray that your spirit would move on our hearts and our minds, that we would understand the text, that we would apply it in a way that is honoring to you this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Last week we were in John chapter 11. And as we looked at John chapter 11, we saw the raising of Lazarus and just a miraculous event that caused many people to believe. But then after that, many, some others ran to the Pharisees and it was then that The Pharisees, it was put into their heart, they would put Jesus to death. And then we see John chapter 12 is um, a scene of the triumphant entry. 12 going into um, 13. We have the triumphant entry in in verse 12 where in chapter 12 where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the disciples are with, with Jesus and then it's it's a, it's a great time to be a disciple. Because as Jesus comes in Jerusalem, people are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is the King of Israel. And so they come into Jerusalem. They're probably expecting, they know this is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to throw off the Roman oppressors. And man, we just can't wait. But then, it's just a couple days later, and Jesus is, is starting to talk more about the fact that he's going away. That the Son of Man is going to have to be betrayed. That the Son of Man is going to be arrested. That the Son of Man is going to have to die. And I'm thinking the disciples are starting to get a little concerned. And the disciples are starting to get um, a little more confused. And so if you're in John 14, I'm just going to ask you to back up a little bit. Look at the end of um, John chapter 13. The scene here is the upper room, and Jesus is with his disciples. And in the beginning of um, chapter 13, he's washing the feet of the disciples, and he's teaching them, and he's watching, and, and he's teaching them as he washes their feet, and he's explaining to them what's coming, and they don't really get it. And they're, but Jesus just says, that's okay, just, just listen. Just, just listen, let me teach, and, and let me tell you, and let me model for you. And then we get down to verse um, 33, and verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus says, Where I am going, you cannot come. 
And then he talks a couple things about what love looks like and this new command. And then we get to verse 36. And Simon, Simon Peter, who I imagine didn't really register the previous couple of verses, because he's stuck, still stuck on what Jesus just said. Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so Peter kind of just blurts out here. He says, Lord, where are you going? Well, Jesus tells him, well, you can't go where I'm going. But he does say that he will follow afterward. We'll get into chapter 14 in just a minute, but if you flip over, there's another scene in the same conversation where Jesus tells his disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. And so Thomas blurts out in verse 5, well, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I point out these two guys for a reason. Before we get into the rest of the text this morning, the disciples knew something here that was important. Both Peter and Thomas wanted to be with Jesus. They knew Jesus was going somewhere. They didn't get the whole thing. They didn't know exactly where he was going. But they knew wherever Jesus was, they wanted to be. And so this is the context for Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. You've got the disciples kind of confused and wondering. He's teaching and modeling. And Jesus is saying, I'm going somewhere. And the disciples are saying, we're in. We don't understand. We don't know where we're going. But we're following you, Jesus. And so what I want you to consider and think about before we get into Jesus' word here is I just wonder um, if you've considered where you're heading. If you've considered the destination of your life. Some of us are, uh, are, consider our career, we, you have a, a job that you're eyeing, you have a promotion that you're eyeing, you're saying, that's where I'm heading. I'm heading to this promotion or this, this different level, and, and that's kind of your destination. Maybe your destination is found um, in a person. Um, you, you got that person that you're married to, and you're saying we're gonna we're gonna stick this out, and, and and your your destination is tied to a person. I don't know maybe what your destination is. Hopefully, what your destination is as a Christian is you understand a little bigger, a little beyond this world, and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I'm going. My destination is God. My destination is Jesus. But the question is, are you considering it? Have you thought about your destination? Jesus told the disciples where he's going. And this is the beginning of John 14. He says, let me tell you where I'm going. Peter's obviously concerned because Jesus just said, well, you can't come right now. And by the way, you're going to deny me three times. So chapter 14, Jesus gives some words of comfort. Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is a verse of comfort. This is, this is Jesus saying, hey, don't worry, trust me, because where I'm going, you are going to come too. We think and we understand as we read these verses, oh, he's talking about heaven. But I know the disciples, they're not exactly sure what Jesus is saying yet because of this whole conversation with Thomas when he, Jesus says, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, whoa, Lord, we don't know where we're going. How am I supposed to know the way? You see, the, the disciples didn't know the physical location of where Jesus was going, but they just wanted to go with Jesus. And I think, if you think about it, that this is actually a pretty good description of heaven because heaven, the 
defining characteristic of heaven is not the physical location. It's not the stuff involved in heaven. It's the presence of God. It's being with God for eternity. And that's where the disciples wanted to go. And that's hopefully where we want to go as well. Jesus' answer is pretty simple. Well, Thomas, you do know the way because you know me. And I am the way. Jesus' destination was clear. Time and time after again, all through the book of John, all through the Gospels, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. If you ask people today, do you want to go to heaven? I think most people will say, yes. Do you want to go with the Father? Do you want to go be with God? I think most people will probably say, yeah, yeah, I want to be with God. I want to go to heaven. That sounds great. But if you ask them, how do you get to heaven? Now you're going to start to hear a whole bunch of different responses. You may not be surprised that around a couple years ago, Pew did a survey and they found that about 70% of Americans think that there are multiple ways to get to God. 70%. And you're like, well, that makes sense. Culture is pretty terrible right now. But would you believe that 55% of self-identified evangelical Christians also say there's more than one way to God. That's in the church. That is not compatible with what Jesus says. He says, not only I am the way, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus' words aren't enough, Paul also reasserts this truth. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only way to heaven is made clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Everyone is going to a destination. But everyone is also on a path. And the question is, is your path aligned with your intended destination? You see, Jesus' destination was clear. I'm going to the Father. But it was also made evident by the way he walked on this earth. He was consistently and continually pointing people towards the Father. He was walking in the will of the Father. I'm doing the will of the Father. I'm doing the will of the Father. This is the path that leads to the Father. Come follow me and you will find the Father. That was Jesus. It was clear not only because he talked about the future destination, but because he lived it out on this earth. John 4, John 6 are just a couple of examples of Jesus saying, hey, I'm here to do the will of the Father. And so I'm afraid that there's a lot of people out there, hopefully not in here, but maybe, who believe their destination is heaven, but their path isn't aligned with what Jesus says. There are a lot of people that believe the path really doesn't matter. You've heard it expressed in different ways. Well, don't all religions really just lead to God and well, as long as you're a good person, doesn't, doesn't that mean that you're going to get into heaven? As long as you're sincere, then that must be okay, right? Or maybe you've heard someone say, well, there really isn't 
one true religion because it's all just a social construct. Or maybe you've heard it's just a crutch for those unintelligent people. But the problem with those statements are not only do they contradict the Bible or contradict logic, and most times they contradict both. The problem is Jesus' words. There's only one way to heaven. You've heard it said that life's a journey. And I would agree with that statement. But the problem is just because you're on a journey doesn't mean you're all heading to the same destination. I can illustrate this with kind of embarrassing story. Um, so when I was in college, I worked at a gas station. I was a petroleum fuel transfer expert. I pumped gas for people because it's illegal in New Jersey to do that yourself. So I did that. It wasn't a bad job. It was pretty easy. You got to meet a lot of people, talk to a lot of people. One of the things that often happened uh, was people would be out of town. They'd come stop in and they'd ask for directions. I grew up in the area. I enjoyed helping people. It was no problem. A nice couple came up, asked me for directions. Don't remember where they were heading, but I do remember about 10 minutes later the feeling that I got in my stomach because I realized I told them the wrong directions. Nothing I could do about that one. Well, imagine those that couple in their car. They're driving. They're thinking they're going to the right destination, and they're just not. And, and eventually they figured that out, and they weren't too happy with me. Their path wasn't aligned with their destination. They could keep going and kept going and kept going, but they were never getting to where they intended to be while they were on that path. And my fear is there's a lot of people whose intended destination is heaven but the wrong, the wrong path. And thankfully, it's not just me telling you bad directions this morning. This is Jesus. And we're going to trust Jesus' words. The way of salvation is grace. This is what is unique in Christianity. There's nothing for us to do. It's already been done by Christ. So not only should we have our destination focused on the Father and focused on heaven, but also the path that we walk should be evidenced by the destination. And so what I mean is we should be following the footsteps of Christ and not only proclaim Jesus as the way and heaven as the destination, but we should open up our Bibles and we should look at how Jesus says we should live our lives. And should we, we should be actively pursuing the life that Jesus calls us to live if we are heading to Jesus. Those two things should align. The way of salvation begins with belief. But it continues with love and obedience. If you look in John chapter 14 and you start scrolling down in verse 12 and verse 15 and verse 21... In verse 24, you start to see a common theme, and it's this idea of believe me and you will do my works. Love me and you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments keeps my commandments. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You see, all roads don't lead to God. The road that leads to God, there's only one, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. But it's evidence by our love and our actions for him and for people. So then the question becomes, well, how do I engage a culture? How do I engage a culture that doesn't buy this? Well, here's what I say. Just because we know that Jesus is the only way doesn't mean 
we shouldn't listen. Theodore Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think the first way we can show people we care is by listening. We probably don't need as many Christians talking all the time. And we need more Christians who are willing to listen. Who are willing to actually engage with people. Who are willing to actually sit down and ask, well, what do you believe? Well, what are you struggling with? How can I help you? What do you think is the way to God? Do you believe in a God? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? That tells the world you care. And if you don't care about them, then why would they listen to you when you're giving them the way to God? I don't think they will, especially in our culture and especially in our time. I think we need to become better listeners. If we become better listeners, the window will widen to speak into their lives about the Savior who came into the world to show them the only way to the Father. The ultimate question, however, does become, well, which way is right? And that's why Jesus doesn't just say, I am the way. He says, I am the way and I am the truth. You see, Jesus is more than just a moral teacher or a prophet or some religious guy. He's more than someone who just modeled truth or pointed the truth or taught truth. Jesus is the truth. This means that if we want to understand truth, we need to understand Jesus. John 1 makes the case for Jesus as embodied truth. If you were to turn to John 1 and you would read the whole chapter, you kind of get this flow that in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw that glory, and the glory was from the Father, full of grace and truth. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And John builds this argument that results in the word is Jesus is truth. And I think this is significant. Because truth doesn't just remain out there in a mystical way outside of us. Truth becomes human. So now we can touch it. So now we can see it. So now we can see how truth interacts with humanity, because truth became flesh. Because Jesus is the truth, I can trust Him with everything. Because Jesus is the truth, I can trust His promises, because He never lies. Because Jesus is the truth, I can trust His guidance, because He knows what is best. Because Jesus is the truth, I can ask Him any question I want. Because he knows every answer. Jesus is the truth. So I can fully trust in his way. Our culture wants to say, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. And you take your truth and I'll have my truth. But that's just not compatible with the words of Jesus. It's also not compatible with the rules of logic. That's for another time. 
Ravi Zacharias says, True freedom comes when we are able to live our lives in the truest sense of what we are supposed to be. And what he's getting at is this idea of when you know truth, you understand your purpose. And you aren't really free to live until you understand why you're here. And Jesus has the answer. And the truth gives us meaning and purpose. And not until we meet Jesus are we really able to live a life of true freedom and true living. In our society, we're seeing truth crumble. As feelings become more important than facts, as preferences start to determine meaning, as the majority starts to determine what's right and what's wrong. So, so what do we do? How do we engage the culture that is rejecting truth? My thought here is that just because we know that Jesus is the only truth, it doesn't mean we shouldn't love. Just because we know that Jesus is the only truth, it doesn't mean we shouldn't love. Right? We saw it earlier. If we are on the same path as Jesus, then we are called to love. And there's no conditions to that love. And what I'm saying is there's a lot of Christians who are disqualifying themselves from speaking truth because they are failing to love. They are failing to give the love and the grace that Jesus requires. You see this happening in all kinds of different contexts. You see it in social media. You see it on Facebook. We're in, we're in one post, we're proclaiming the truth of Jesus. But in the next, we're sharing half-truths about politicians, or we're sharing useless information, or worse, we're sharing things that are causing other people to stumble. We're hurting our witness to the truth when we fail to love. You see it as Christians turn a blind eye to people who are in need just because they look different than them. You see it when Christians are quick to point out the sins in others while they're hiding their own sin. To sum it up, you see this in the hypocrisy of Christians who claim the destination of heaven but won't walk the path of Jesus on earth. If we can't love people who look different than us, if we can't love people who speak different than us or live different than us, then why would they listen to us when it comes to truth? If we condemn people for their sins before we care about them as people, we have failed to love. And we have failed to practice truth. We are called to love people, no matter who they are. Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, doesn't matter. Black, brown, white, we are called to love them. Whether they're poor or rich, somewhere in between, we're called to love them. Whether they identify as homosexual or transgender or nothing, we are called to love them. We love the refugee. We love the orphan. We love the widows. 
And we love the immigrants. We are called to love them all. Why? Why? Because that's what Jesus does. Because that's what Jesus does for you, and that's what Jesus does for me. If you've never heard it before, God loves you. God loves you and wants you to be in relationship with Him. But hear me well. We do not compromise truth so that we can love. But we love so that we can bear witness to the truth who is love. It's my prayer that we aren't just believers of truth or even just proclaimers of truth, but we are followers of the truth who are actively pursuing people to love. So Jesus says He is the way. He's the truth. Lastly, He says, I am the life. We won't spend much time here because we talked about it last week. We saw it in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Martha comes to Jesus and Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John chapter 1 again says, In him was life, and the life was the life of men. You know, at the beginning of the series, we looked at the woman at the well. And Jesus comes to the woman at the well and he tells her, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, it's only Jesus who satisfies our spiritual thirst. Humans have a deep longing to know God personally. But you can only know God personally through the person of Jesus Christ. A little later in this chapter, John 14 and verse 19, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. You see, Jesus brings us freedom from sin. He gives us the power to live for Christ today. But he also gives us assurance for all of eternity. This is what Jesus was talking about when we read it in the beginning of John chapter 14. When he's saying, I am going to prepare a place for you because one day we will be with him forever. How do we get there? The answer is simple and it's found all throughout the Bible. Most famously in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The truth is you believe. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life. But how do we engage? How do we engage in a world that says, this life is it. There's nothing more than whatever you can get out of it. Well, 
I would say that just because we know that Jesus is the only life, it doesn't mean we shouldn't live. That may seem obvious to you, but let me tell you what I mean. Often people know Christians by what they're against, what they don't do, rather than what they're for or what they do. We have the best opportunities to witness for Christ when we go out and live. When we go out and live our lives to the fullest. When we go out and start rubbing shoulders with people who don't know true life. We shouldn't be just people that come together and stick with our little group of Christians in our churches and our home groups. That's good. But we need to be going out. We need to be going out and showing people that we know how to live. The world doesn't need any more boring Christians. The world doesn't need any more Christians to that aren't excited, that don't know life, that don't experience joy. The world needs to see Christians are not just some dull and boring people who live restrictive lives. And uh, why would I want that? We know Jesus is the only way to live. So we ought to live. We ought to show people this is what life with Jesus looks like. And I wouldn't trade it for anything or anyone. Christians should be the ones walking around saying, I'm joy. I have joy even when things go wrong. I'm excited about life. Let me tell you about the author of life. Let me tell you how you can have this joy and this peace and this comfort because it only comes from the one who gives life. And that's Jesus Christ. If our culture needs anything, it's Christians that understand how to live. You've probably heard it before. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Yes, it's restrictive. Yes, it's politically incorrect. Yes, it's offensive. Yes, it may sound arrogant. But if it's true, it's the most important thing you can ever tell someone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the way for culture to hear this message is to have Christians who will listen, to have Christians who will love, and to have Christians who will live. That's the kind of Christians we ought to be. Our destination is heaven. Our destination is sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Do you know somebody who needs to know that? Do you know someone who's looking for purpose and meaning? Who seems lost in this world? Who doesn't really have direction? Who doesn't know where they're going? Could you show them the way? Could you show them Jesus? Do you know someone who's confused about truth? Do you know someone who needs Someone to trust in? Could you point them to Jesus?
Could you show them the truth? Do you know someone that's looking for meaning outside of this life? Do you know someone who's looking for purpose and direction? Could you introduce them to the life? Could you show them Jesus? I hope we'll just take this knowledge. Don't let it sit in your head. Don't let it stay in these pews. Take it out. Take it out from this place and let it be evident in the way we live our lives. We're going to the Father. And that's the best path we can be on. Why don't you come along? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful that there is only one truth. There's only one way, one truth, one life, and that's through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that it's by grace that we are saved. It's not something we have to do. It's not something we can earn. But it's something that you've already done for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that this isn't just a future hope or a future truth, something that doesn't apply today, but it's something that is so relevant, that gives us life and joy and meaning and purpose, that gives us hope for the world around us. The culture may not understand, but help us be light to the culture so that some may come to know you. Lord, how sweet it is to trust in you. So that's our song as we pray this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.